Welcome back to another of the Making the Madness College Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, John Warner, uh, and Sean is on the other line. Sean, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How about you? I'm doing well. Uh, been another kind of busy week in the college basketball world. We've got Philip Petrosev deciding to go overseas, and the reason being apparently because he thinks Gonzaga doesn't get enough people to the NBA, uh, Isaiah Livers coming back, all the fun stuff. So excited to be on to talk another good, you know, episode of College Hoops. Definitely. Uh, so we'll, we'll get right into it with Philip Petrosev. He just decided to uh, sign a contract overseas with uh, Mega Bmax. I think the team is called. Uh, don't quote me on that, but he he's essentially foregoing his eligibility. Uh, he will not be at Gonzaga for another season. First off, uh, going to start like with what what do you think the impact is for Gonzaga? Well, I think there's definitely an impact. Uh, I don't think it's as big as it might be for maybe another player who could potentially be an All-American level player, uh, different from Petrosev. Yeah, for sure. I think of the three Gonzaga players who were testing the waters with Joel Ayayi and uh, Corey Kispert also, I think that those two are more important to Gonzaga's future success this season just due to the fact that Gonzaga has a plethora of big men to uh, replace Petrosev with Drew Timmy, who I think was an All-American before this potentially, and now I think he's going to win the National Player of the Year. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a fan. I think he does win National Player of the Year. Best player maybe on the best team now. He had nine a game last season with five rebounds in 20 minutes a game. But his real issue is defense and fouling. When he got beat on defense last season, he kind of just tried to make up for it and end up committing a foul. If you get beat on a play, just let the other team score and then take your shot at the other end. That's what you got to do. I still think Gonzaga's the number one team by a large margin. I think Umar Balo, who redshirted last season, he's 6'11", 260, just an old-school big man. I think he could have a big impact off the bench. I think Gonzaga's a great team, so. Yeah, I agree. Gonzaga's still going to be good. Uh Umar Baldo could potentially uh, start for the Zags next season, uh, but they're they're still loaded. I think the area where a lot of people are not giving them enough credit is in the backcourt. Uh, we're assuming Corey Kisper and Julie I both come back. I think that's a really good you know two-man combination. Both them come back. Uh, yeah, he's just a really solid all-around player. He can you know run offense. He's a good defender. He can, you know, hit shots when needed. He's just a really solid all-around player, really good defender as well. And then Corey Kispert, the the ultimate, you know, three and D player, can guard, you know, the other teams, some of their best guards. And then he he has the ability to just stretch out, you know, pop, hit a three at, you know, an elite level. And he's an outstanding player uh, in his own regards. Uh, so this Gonzaga team, assuming those two players come back, is going to be really good. Uh, and then, you know, you mentioned Drew Timmy. He's going to be really good coming in. National uh, Player of the Year. I'm, I'm not going to go National Player of the Year. I think he'll be good. I think he'll, his numbers will definitely go up. Uh, could maybe win WCC Player of the Year. 
but this this is a really loaded team. And then you add Jalen Suggs into the mix, kind of a combo guard. Now you have a two combo guard kind of mix as well with Jalen Suggs. Uh, he's a really good defender, uh, a good shooter as well, can, just a good overall playmaker. This is a loaded Gonzaga team that, yeah, well, losing Philip Petrosev is definitely going to hurt. Uh, I still think they're you know, fit to be the team to be going into next season and the preseason number one team. Yeah, definitely. And uh, without, you know, I've seen some other popular writers have them, you know, out of the top five, not even names here, but I'm just saying that seems a little bit of a John Robson. That seems like a little bit of a stretch. I mean, maybe just trying to get those clicks, but I think there's zero chance that they end up being the sixth best team in college basketball this year. They just have too much to work with. And with Anton Watson being medically cleared earlier today to resume basketball activity, that's a guy five recruit last season who I think he played a little bit, but not a ton, was hurt a lot. I think he could play a huge role in you. And you have Julian Strother, who is a top 100 recruit this year. This is still the best team in college basketball, without a doubt. Yeah, I I really think that there's two teams that maybe can be in the same category in terms of tiering. I think Villanova is going to be really good next year. Obviously, losing Sadiq Bey is not going to help, but they'll be really good. And Baylor's, you know, assuming they get Macy Oteague and Jared Butler back, They'll be essentially kind of running it back from last year's team as well, a team that would have been a one seed as well. So I, I think those three teams have kind of separated themselves. And, it, and you know, I could maybe see having Gonzaga at three. I just – I think the fall off between those three teams and uh, team number four, you know, Wisconsin, Virginia, uh, Iowa, I, I've seen people throw them in the mix – uh, I think the drop-off between those three teams uh, and the rest of the field is kind of big at this point. And Gonzaga, I still think, would probably be my preseason number one team going into next year, uh, especially if they're able to get some of the question marks you know, at the four spot. Uh, you get Drew Timmy playing more minutes. He had an excellent, you know, you're set one through three. Uh, if the four spot... Omar Baldo, uh, uh, Anton Watson, if those two players are able to contribute, this is going to be a really fun and loaded Gonzaga team that just should wreck the WCC next season. Yeah, for sure. And one last thing on this topic here. I think that if you want to take an example of what not to do in leaving a program early, do the exact opposite of what Philip Petrusev and his agent did by uh, kind of trashing on your ex-team that you willingly went to as a top 100 prospect really isn't the best look. So uh, trashing against a competition they play when you decided to go there and then talk and then his agent talking about how few players they've had drafted in the last decade, although they're going to have five more in the next two seasons, I think that's a little, you know, a bad way to handle things. But, you know, it happens. The, the agent thing is just ridiculous because – so last year they have Rui Hachimura get picked. Right. Uh, it, Zach Norvell, I think he went undrafted, can't confirm or deny, but he, I but think, he, is on the Lakers roster. If Warriors. He was? He's on the Warriors now. Oh, he's on the Warriors roster. So 
Zach Norvell's a quality piece. Rui Hachimura. Brandon Clark is, I think, a first-team all-rookie this season. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's just a, like, that's three from the previous year's team. And you you go back, you just go down the lineup. There's Kelly Olynyk, Like, that, that's a statement that's just not really true. And I think it was even misquoted because it was looking – and the one example for Mega BMAX is that they had Nikola Jokic playing on the team. Well, how often is Nikola Jokic coming around to play – you know, that's kind of a fluky thing. Now, Jokic is an outstanding player, but I think if Nikola Jokic goes to Gonzaga and plays basketball, he's still a NBA all-star in, you know, the NBA, even if he goes to Gonzaga as opposed to Mega B-Max. Yeah, and uh, Petrusa is not ever going to be an NBA player, so it's kind of what it is. He, he's just, he's a good player. He's really good college player. He'll make a lot of money in Europe. He's just way too slow for the NBA. Yeah. Maybe maybe they'll teach him some foot speed or just to become the best passing big man of NBA history in Nikola Jokic. Yeah. Uh, moving on, Isaiah Livers is going back to Michigan. Uh, this shouldn't really come as too big of a surprise. I think it was kind of leaning that way. I know you had a predictions piece on a lot of players and you had livers coming back to school. Uh, I think this is, doesn't come as much of a surprise, but it's really important for Michigan. Uh, We'll kind of see what they do going forward uh, with Hunter Dickinson, probably at the five, maybe livers and Franz Wagner playing the three and the four. I think this is Michigan's team. They they still you know will need eligibility for Shonda Brown going into next season, but they'll they'll be pretty good going into next season. Probably a tournament team, especially with Livers back. Yeah, I think they're definitely a tournament team, but this will just show how good of a coach Jamon Howard actually is, in my opinion. He has the pieces, and I'm not counting Shonda Brown in this. I don't think he gets a waiver. He entered the portal 10 days before Danny Manning was fired. I just, I see, I don't see much of a path for him to get a waiver, but if he does, that's helpful. But I just think that, you know, you have so many pieces and so many young pieces. Do you want to play Mike Smith grad transfer from Columbia along with Eli Brooks and have a really small backcourt? Or do you want to play Smith starter minutes off the bench and go Brooks at the one, go Wagner at the two, go Livers at the three, even though he's not a wing and will get beat defensively. So will Smith if he's playing uh, the two-guard spot. And then you have you can put uh, Livers is at the three and put Dickinson at the five and then... Could uh, put Johns at the four maybe? Or yeah, that's who it was, yeah. yeah I said Johns. Austin, Austin Davis as well. Austin Davis, yeah. And then you have Zeb Jackson, who could even start. You have Terrence Williams, who could, you know, he's more of a 2-3 guy, but he could play a lot. And they just have a lot of young talent on this team. Jace Howard, who's Jawan's son, he could play some kind of role. They just have a lot of pieces on this team, and I just want to see how Jawan handles it this season. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see kind of how Howard does kind of handle it because there's a lot of mouths to feed with this roster. Obviously, Livers and Wagner will get – the majority of the touches going into next season, but 
you know, Brandon Johns or Hunter Dickinson, both them are going to be fighting for probably minutes at the center position this season. Zeb Jackson is a really good guard. Uh, do you put the ball in his hands? Do you put it in Mike Smith's hands? Do you put it in Eli Brooks's hands? I think they'll probably start. I think they'll go with a lineup that starts Brooks, uh, Wagner, Livers, and Dickinson. And it, I think the interesting thing will be kind of to see, do they go extra big? Uh, maybe have Wagner at the two, Livers at the three, and Johns at the four? Or, I like that, the or Jackson starting. And if they do that, do they go 2-3 zone defense? Because Livers isn't necessarily the you know quickest player in the world. Neither is Johns at the four. So maybe they play a zone defense. Who really knows? But this Michigan team has some pieces. It'll be interesting to see how Jawan Howard kind of puts things together. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is a team that has sky-high potential. Obviously, the biggest task is replacing Xavier Simpson, who was obviously a mainstay in this lineup for four years. And if they can have Eli Brooks or Mike Smith or uh, Zeb Jackson even take up most of what Simpson did, then they'll be looking really good this season. Definitely. Uh, moving on to the American Conference, we're going to go back-to-back with the American. We're going to start with Musa Sisi. Uh, Sisi, I think, is actually the pronounced He is heading to Memphis. He's a really good uh, athletic, shot-blocking, defensive-stopping center. Uh, and he's 6'10", a five-star recruit, the best available. He reclassified to this year, uh, went to one of the Memphis high schools. Uh, so now he's heading to Memphis. This is a really good pickup for a Memphis team that I think has some really good talent. I think is the on paper best team from a talent perspective going into next year in the American. Yeah, Memphis is my number one team in the American right now by a pretty decent margin. I'm just not that high on Houston. SMU, I'm still pretty high on after the news we'll get in after the CSA news. I just think that overall this team, and I did a piece on this, I wrote it the day before CSA committed. So I had him in it already. So CSA committing is big, but last year I feel like people have still had high expectations for them after James Wiseman got suspended then quit on the team, but that team was just going to not be good. They lost DJ Jeffries due to injury, middle of the season. But now you look at this season, they have Lester Quinones, who's one of the more talented scoring guards in the country, potentially, I feel like, this season. Then you have three really good uh, one guards with Boogie Ellis, Alex Lomax, and Damian Baugh. Then down low, if DeAndre Williams can get a waiver, he's a guy that can knock down the three at a great rate for uh, power forward. Then you have Cissé at the five. You have DJ Jeffries, who's your prototypical wing. And then you just have a lot of guys. You have Dandridge off the bench, Lance Thomas, Isaiah Stokes. This is just a really deep team who I think has, you know, second weekend potential this season, and I think they should win the American. Yeah, I, I, I agree with the you know take that they probably should win the American. We'll kind of see that – Last season, I think we need to throw out with Memphis because you you come into the season top 15 hype, uh, but that was with James Wiseman in the lineup. James Wiseman, you know, came in 
when he was on the court, that that team looked like a top 15 team. That team, yeah. with him on the court, pushed Oregon to, you know, in Portland uh, to a pretty close game, uh, and they blew out their other two opponents. That was with James Wiseman on the court. With Wiseman went, you know, left the team uh, first to suspension, and then you know just for good. That's when the team went downhill, and they were still, you know, not a bad team by any means. Uh, but they significantly got worse, and then losing D.J. Jeffries kind of midseason as well. I think this is a Memphis team that the pieces fit really well going into next season. Uh, even you replace, uh, obviously, going to lose Musa, or they'll probably lose Musa Cece after the season, but they'll replace him with DeAndre Williams if he gets a waiver uh, or doesn't get a waiver this season. Landers Nolly as well. This is a Memphis team I think going forward is just going to be really, really good. Uh, and then you obviously this year you have Lester Quinones, you have DJ Jeffries. That's a really good scoring combination. Boogie Ellis, you know, was hot and cold early in the season, but he's really a good shooter, has the talent to, I think, have a breakout season. Uh, Alex Lomax is solid at the point guard spot. Uh, and that's even without Nolly or Williams getting waivers. If one of them, let, let's say Landers Nolly gets a waiver for this upcoming season, seems unlikely, but the ceiling's definitely going up for Memphis going into next season. I think they'll be really good ne- going into next season and kind of surprise some people who are probably down on the Tigers following this past season. Yeah, and last thing here for me on Memphis, when you bring up Landers Nolly, that's a good point because he's a guy I think that could get a waiver, and most people don't seem to think he – I would say it's 50-50 right now. Obviously, when it's in the NCAA's hands, your guess is as good – their guess is, you know – they're guessing, I mean. Our guess is as good as, you know, anybody's is what I meant to say. But, like, Nolly redshirted his true freshman season, entered the transfer portal after Buzz Williams left and decided to come back. Then he leaves after the season where he was, you know, had one of the highest usage rates in college basketball, but he didn't like his role because he wanted to be a forward, not a guard, which is, you know, probably what he should be. And I think he has, you know, more of a case than people think for a waiver. So if he could get a waiver, that team is going to be crazy good this season. Yeah. I don't know if he will get a waiver or not. We'll kind of wait and see on that, but... I, I definitely wouldn't mind seeing him get a waiver, and you, you can always use the good old, well, there's coronavirus, give me a waiver, and then may, maybe that will work, because right, right now, anything goes with coronavirus, including waivers. Yep. Uh, staying in the American, your nay is going to SMU. Uh, you called this earlier. You have the floor now to uh, kind of explain what you think this means for SMU? Yeah, first off, just for more high-quality predictions, you can follow me on Twitter, at Sean02MTM. You know, I tweeted this a week before it happened. I said, I don't have any inside sources, but your and A to SMU would make a lot of sense. I said that after Isaiah Mike left for the NBA draft early, and there wasn't any steam about your and A to SMU. And I'm like, that would make a lot of sense. So, you know, I mean, it makes sense. I predicted it. There we go. Now that I'm done giving myself credit, 
I mean, just look at this team. You have Kendrick Davis, who is one of the best passing guards in college basketball. He's a solid scorer. Then you have at the two-guard spot, you have Darius McNeil, a transfer from Cal, who sat out last season. Emmanuel Bandumel, who had some games at the end of the season, hit a, a game winner against Houston, I think, uh, in February or so. Then you have Tyson Jolly. You have uh, Ferran Hunt. Then you have Anae at the five. You have Ethan Shagwa off the bench. Then you just have, you know, uh, the bench isn't great. But you have enough pieces to make it work with either McNeil or Bandamel coming off the bench and Chagwa off the bench. You know, this is a seven-deep team. I might be missing a guy here, but seven-deep at least I think is good enough to have them being second in the American. I'm just not very high on Houston, even though most people are. Obviously, they make it work without a good big man. You know, they've had Breon Brady in the past do enough. You've had... Fabian White do a little bit. You have Bryson Gresham who's going to have that role this season. I just think with how many good bigs there are in the American, their double teaming the big, uh, you know, play style isn't going to work as well this season. Yeah, I can definitely see that with Houston. Uh, staying on the SMU, you know, Tim Jankovic a few years ago, 2017, I believe, that team won the American. Uh, they won all the marbles. They won the American outright. They were – you know, they got upset early in the NCAA tournament, but they were really good. And it was with a six-man rotation. Now, obviously, I don't think this SMU team on paper has the same amount of talent as that team. But, you know, they don't have a semi-ogile on the team. But I think they'll, they'll be really solid. Maybe they don't have that superstar like an ogile. I think, you know, Tyson Jolly's pretty good. Kendrick Davis, they're just going to be a really solid team. I think that you know, one through seven look is going to be really, you know, kind of key. You don't need realistically, if you're running a seven deep lineup, as long as everyone stays healthy, I think you can make that work in today's college basketball world. Uh, and your Nate fits in really well at the five. Uh, he's just going to erase everything down low in the league. He's going to be uh, competing with Musa Cisse for, defensive player in the year in the American this year. Uh, I just think this is a really solid SMU team that, uh, well, er earlier in the off season, you know, they didn't, you know, there were some questions. I think your name kind of shores up that front court and they will be, I think I would still have Houston over SMU. Uh, just a major part of that is just Kelvin Sampson over Tim Jankovic. I think that's, that's a major coaching advantage, but from a like on court paper perspective, just looking player, player roster, you know, only players on rosters. I think SMU from a roster perspective is probably second behind or ahead of Houston, just from a roster only perspective. Yeah. And back to my point with how Houston likes to double team the Big man, why well, I don't think that'll work this season, the American. You just look at some of the big men that are in the American. We've mentioned CSA. We've mentioned a Wichita State as a super high ceiling junior and Morris Udesi. Then you have Jaden Gardner at East Carolina, who had 17 a game last year, I think. Chris Vogt at Cincinnati is like 7-2. Um, Colin Smith at UCF, who decided to return. Alexis Yetna, who missed all of last season for USF. 
I just there's so many good big men in this conference this season that I think that Houston's really going to struggle not having size. Maybe Reggie Chaney can get a waiver since Eric Musselman just likes throwing players out of the program when he sees someone else enter the portal. But I, I don't know that he's that good either. So Yeah, I, I think Chaney's kind of like a – in an ideal role, he's probably like a 10 to 15-minute per game yeah. guy, he's I guess, behind under- Gresham. Yeah, he's like Breon Brady from a few years ago. Yeah, which not not a bad player to have by any means, but it's not a game changer. Yeah. Uh, but SMU, I think, is going to be really good. I Right now, the American I kind of see as a three-bid league just myself. I think Houston, Memphis, SMU are probably the teams right now that I would have in. Can maybe say Wichita State, Cincinnati – uh, I'll hear arguments for UCF as well, but I think there's a clear, at least in my opinion, top three with mm. Houston, Memphis, and SMU. Yeah, definitely. I like USF quite a bit, though. They return David Collins. They return Alexis Yetna. Those two, even though they lose LaQuincy Rito, those two are going to be big this season. Definitely. Uh, moving on, uh, going to the Ohio Valley. Uh, Adam Kunkel has decided to transfer from Belmont. Uh, he's heard from a number of schools. One that kind of interests me is at least Kentucky, because uh, he is from the state of Kentucky. I think he could get a waiver to play next season. I think that's an option that, well, if he goes to Kentucky, he's not going to be a superstar. I think he could potentially contribute to Kentucky going in, into next season. Uh, but we'll we'll kind of see what he does, but definitely hit to a Belmont team that, as is, I think was kind of struggling to keep up with Murray State and Austin P in the Ohio Valley. I think that makes them the clear kind of third best team in that league. Yeah, uh, just starting with Kunkel here. So at, at its recruiting on Twitter was the one who tweeted out his first uh, list, I guess is Xavier, Creighton, Dayton, Arkansas, Iowa State, Kentucky, Louisville, Cincinnati, and St. John's. I think if he goes to either of the two schools located in his home state of Kentucky, he could get a waiver. And I'm already really high on Louisville, and the one thing they're missing is a knockdown shooter. Maybe Samuel Williamson can be that at some point this season, but they could use a guy who shot nearly 40% from deep last season, so I'd love to see him go to Louisville. That would be an ideal landing spot. I'd probably get a waiver. Then just talking about Belmont, they do all like they're probably third now for me. They were tied for a second before. I had Austin P ahead of them and Murray State. But one thing for Austin P that we we didn't really talk about on the podcast, Matias Silveria, a seven footer, entered the transfer portal. When I spoke to Coach Matt Figger, he was super high on him this season. Thought he could have a really big season, and he just you know decided to enter the portal. They could, you know, try to get waivers for Corbin Merritt and uh, Mike Peak. So we'll see what down lows looking like for Austin P. But Belmont, you have Nick Musinski, you have Grayson Murphy. As long as those two can produce and have some other pieces around them, you know, do good this season, they're still in for a solid season. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I think yeah. it's, it's right now. I think it's right a now, two bid. Or two-team two. race for the Ohio Valley going into next season. Two-bid league? Or a two, 
two teams competing for the automatic bid. I think, you know, maybe there could be a too big league with the Ohio Valley, but I definitely think it's Austin P and it is Murray state at the top. And I really like Austin P I may might be coming over to the Austin P wagon with you. Let's go. Austin P baby. Let's do it. Terry Taylor, Jordan Adams. Ugh, love it. I, I like that duo better than I like Murray state's duo. I, I think we talked about this on the last podcast we did, but that that Murray State team kind of one through eight, I think, is more of a t- complete team, but anything can happen when Terry Taylor's on the court. Yeah, Terry Taylor's just an absolute nightmare to you game plan against. He's 6'5", 225, but has a really big wingspan and plate. He's so strong. He, you know, he can really play... He's not a great shooter, but he could really play and defend two through five. And he's a guy who's definitely going to get some time in the NBA eventually. I mean, he's just so talented. It, he's just, you know, the best player in the Ohio Valley by a wide margin, in my opinion. Yeah, definitely. Uh, moving on, a couple more players coming back. We'll s- start with Arizona State. Uh, and your West Coast guy, what mm-hmm. does... Uh, Alonzo Verge coming back to Arizona State kind of made for them. It means everything. I mean, Alonzo Verge, I said this in my piece about him that I actually had pre-written a while back because I wanted to spotlight on him. And, you know, no better time to release it than when he returns. That was perfect timing. But Alonzo Verge is one of the craftiest scorers in college basketball, in my opinion. I will die on that hill. And just watching him, he's a three-level scorer. He really struggled early in the season. He was like three for 26 from three the first month of the season, but really turned it on shooting near the end of the season. You know, he he's super quick and can get by guys. You look at the end of that Arizona game, he had a game winner uh, layup, just a little isolation play, held the ball for about 15 seconds and went in. Dylan Smith contested and he still made it. I mean, he's the kind of guy... He was a score-first guy, but at Juco, he was a pretty good passer, too. So, it I mean, obviously, Rennie Martin's decision still in the air. I think he does come back, but I could see him making a Philip Petrusev decision being like, I'm probably not an NBA guy. I just leave early. But then you have, let's say that does happen, then you have Alonzo Burge, Holland Woods, a transfer from Portland State who's likely to get a waiver regardless of what happens and play the season. Joshua Christopher, Marcus Bagley, Jalen Graham, Tayshawn Cherry, Kamani Lawrence, Chris Austin, Jalen House. I mean, this is a team that is really deep and talented, and it's really a make-or-break season for Bobby Hurley and Tempe. They just have so much depth and talent that I think this is a Final Four potential team, but they're also a team that I could see, you know, being like a 10 seed and losing in the first round. They're one of the teams that has a widest margin of outcomes in my opinion all of college basketball yeah definitely i can't see that the, the large range of outcomes is i think a given every single year with arizona state you don't know what they're going to do on a nightly basis uh but speaking to verge coming back he's just a really really good scorer uh and can kind of play that secondary playmaker role with remy martin i think if martin comes back as well you have Martin along with Alonzo Burke. That's a great duo, and then you add Josh Christopher to that. That's an elite back. And 
yep. yep. We'll see what we'll kind see. of they can get out of Marcus Bagley this year. He's a you know four fringe. He might have been a four or five star recruit. Top fifty for uh, sure. Uh, yeah, he was top five I think by the end of it. He was all he was a five star rival, four star on twenty four seven sports. He's a guy I think honestly might be better than Joshua Christopher, but he just talked about it a little less. He's a guy who could be a top ten pick in my opinion, uh, who has as much of a chance to raise his stock as anybody this year. Yeah, and Bagley as well can kind of play that four position for mm-hmm. the team. We'll see what they kind of get out of the front court. Jalen Graham is going to need to take a big step forward. Kamai Lawrence can, I guess, play some spot-up minutes at the center position. But this is a really good Arizona State team going into next season. Yeah, definitely. I'm I'm definitely excited to see what they can do. They're my number one team in the Pac-12. Oregon's a close two. If LJ Figueroa can get a waiver, they might be one. But I doubt he gets a waiver anyways. So. Uh, Stanford as well. I don't think Terry's coming back, but the Zaire Williams. Dejon uh, Davis, Bryce Willis, Oscar Da Silva. Yeah, Da Silva. This Pac-12 is going to be really fun to watch this season. Definitely, from top to bottom. And just one more Pac-12 little thing, I guess. Washington is a team that I think is very talented, not being talked about at all. Quade Green is a guy who was really good last season, and then when he got ruled academically ineligible, they just – fell off completely. Then you have Eric Stevenson, a transfer from Wichita State, who's probably going to get a waiver. You have Nizayek Harder, who is, uh, I think, the nephew of Jay-Z. He's a little fun fact there. He's really athletic, though. He can shoot. You have Raekwon Battle. You have Nate Roberts. You have uh, Jawan Roberts, I believe, from transfer from USC. You have Cole uh, Bajima, I think is how you say it, transfer from Michigan, who's probably going to get a waiver. I mean, there's just a lot of talent on this team. And with how good of a coach Mike Hopkins is, I think they could be, you know, a team that can contend in the Pac-12, and people just aren't talking about them right now. Uh, Moving on, Isaiah Miller has decided he's going to return to UNC Greensboro for this upcoming season. Uh, This this is absolutely huge for not only – UNC Greensboro, but I think the SOCON in general. This is going to be a SOCON that I think is going to continue to be, you know, one of the elite premier mid-major conferences this season. And Isaiah Miller coming back, the conference player of the year, I think makes them the favorites in the league. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Isaiah Miller is a really talented guy. His only real issue is shooting. He's not he, he's not a good shooter. When I spoke to him, interview up on the site, by the way, if, you know, if the listeners haven't read that, he's just a very talented guy, and he thinks that sometimes he can get out of rhythm, rhythm with his jump shot, and that could be part of his issue. But I just like he's an elite defender. He's really good at getting to the rim, super athletic. Then you have him along with Kobe Langley. You have Angelo Allegri, who's going to be, you know, your four or, five, four or five man who can play a big role, pretty athletic guy there. Then you have Caleb Hunter, who can kind of, you know, when Isaiah Miller's gone after the season, play a big role because he's a really talented scorer. So I just think that this UNCG team along with Furman, and I would even put Mercer, even though people aren't really talking about them, I think they could be in the same, you know, top three maybe in the SOCON this season. ETSU's down. I just like Furman and UNCG the most, but Mercer's up there. 
moving on, we're going to get into some mid-major debates. Uh, we're going to start in the Mountain West Conference. Uh, this is a really good league going into next season, but there's a lot of questions about who will win. Uh, you have your answer. I have maybe a different answer. Yeah, I think there's four teams. I think I originally said three, but I think Utah State's in that mix. You have UNLV, you have Boise State, and you have San Diego State. I think my pick, I said this like months ago, I'm just, I told you before I was even writing, I'm like, maybe Boise State goes undefeated, but I doubt that's going to happen. But I think that my pick, honestly, right now is San Diego State, again, probably. You just look at Matt Mitchell, he can be a star. You have Jordan Shackle who's one of the best shooters in college basketball. You have Terrell Gomez, who's a elite shooter. He's going to get beat defensively, but, you know, that's going to happen. You have Nathan Mensah, who missed a chunk of last season coming back. I mean, you just have a lot of pieces that can, you know, were role players or just, you know, added on pieces to Malachi Flynn and Yanni Wetzel last season, who now could be stars with Mitchell and Shackle. But I also do like Boise State quite a bit, just – how are they going to play down low? You have Derek Alston Jr. You have Abu Kijab, who's probably going to be the five-man, even though he's really a wing four guy. Emmanuel Acott, Devin Air Dutrieve. You have Ray J. Dennis. They have a lot of – Marcus Shaver. You have a lot of pieces, but I just want to see how they piece it together before I fully buy in. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, can I definitely, definitely agree definitely with that sentiment. sentiment. I'm going I'm, on the Boise State bandwagon. Uh, I jumped on the Rajay Dennis bandwagon following that Utah State game where he single-handedly carried them from, like, a, I think it was a 18-point deficit with, like, three minutes to go. Yep. Uh, got Devin O'Retrieve, uh, Daniel Atop from Arizona. Those are two really good place, pieces as well. Derek Alston, just the superstar to guy of throw everything in there. I really like Boise State going into next season. Uh, and while I think San Diego State maybe has the culture, the coaching advantage, uh, Boise State I think is going to be good. But this Mountain West is going to be fun because there, there are a lot of teams I think that can be in the mix to win the league title. Uh, aside from just San Diego State and Boise State, I think Nevada, UNLV are both going to be good teams as well. Utah State, uh, yeah. they're going to be solid. I think this is a league. I don't think they'll get five bids or anything like that, but I think they have five really good teams. Eight bid? No, just kidding. But I do like Utah State also. I mean, just look at their front court. You have Nemeus Keda and Justin Bean, two guys who are going to average double-doubles, both good defenders. If Keda can stay healthy, he's a force. But the thing you have to look at with Utah State is they lost Sam Merrill. They lost April Porter, you know, who I said already. I don't think he's that good. But you get Marco Anthony, who was a transfer from Virginia. He spent two seasons in that program, and he got to see guys like Ty Jerome and Kyle Guy. Got to play against him in practice every day. That could be a big thing coming down to the Mountain West. Then you have Alfonso Anderson, who's a senior now. He was a Juco guy last season. He, you know, had some moments last season. I'd like to see some progression from him, but I think Marco Anthony is a real X factor for Utah State this season. They need consistent guard play without Merrill. Definitely. Uh, moving uh, on, going to the Atlantic 10. I think this is kind of a two-team race myself. myself. I think Aiden is going to take a major step forward, even with Jalen Crutcher in the lineup. 
so I think it's kind of St. Louis and Richmond. I know you probably think the same thing. And yeah. if you're a big you're Richmond a Spiders fan, fan, I'll let you go what? focus on Richmond. Nah, I'm not before people come after me on Twitter. I think Richmond, I'm a big fan of what Richmond can do this season. Don't accuse me of being a, uh, like, Richmond uh, bias person because apparently, according to people on Twitter, I'm a Yukon Gonzaga, Richmond uh, fan. I'm a fan of all of them, apparently. So just to put that out there. But I think Richmond's is, like, a top-12 team in college basketball. I know I'm way higher on them than most, but you just look at Jacob Gilliard, one of the best defenders in college basketball. He's a great shooter. He's a great facilitator. And you have Nick Sherrod. You have Blake Francis. You have Nathan Kayo. You have Grant Golden. Then you have who I think could be a key piece off the bench. You have Connor Crabtree, who was a transfer from Tulane, left after uh, Mike Dunleavy's senior was let go at Tulane and came to Richmond, and he's just a knockdown scorer. He's a great shooter. He'll play a big piece off that bench. And then you have... Dijmon Bailey, I think is how you say it. He's like he's a three-star recruit, top 200 guy. He's a guy who will play a big role once Gilliard's gone, but he'll play a big role behind him this season too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. I'm also on the Richmond will win the league bandwagon, but I do like St. Louis going into next season. I think they're a tournament team as well. You just look at they return Jordan Goodwin. He's a superstar. Uh, Hassan French, no one can match up with that. Guy. The only thing you can do to stop him is foul it's him foul. and hope he makes his free throws, for, misses his free throws. That's he'll just miss him. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, he's, he sucks, but he cannot shoot a free throw to save his life. But at the same point, he's a really, you know, matchup nightmare and can convert and ones. Uh, and maybe you foul him. And he goes to the line, he misses the and one, but he'll still get two points out of that. And then Monte Perkins is good as well, Yuri Collins. I like the St. Louis team. I'll take Richmond to win the league, but St. Louis, I think, gets a bid as well. Yeah, I think St. Louis does too. I mean, I do like the St. Louis team a lot, and I think the, you know, you have Hassan French, you have Jordan Goodwin, you have Javante Perkins, you have Fred Thatch, who got hurt last season. He's coming back. Then you have Yuri Collins, who, you know, turns the ball over a ridiculous amount and probably should stop doing that. But he's one of their few good three-point shooters. But, you know, you have Jimmy Bell. But I think the real X factor for this team is Gibson Jimerson. I know, that's a real name. I'm not kidding. He shot 42% from three last season. You know, he had 10 a game in 10 games before he got hurt and missed the rest of the season. That guy is an elite shooter. And I think that if he can, you know, do that, maybe only have him on the floor and take out everybody else when it comes down to the end of the game. Because I think St. Louis blew, like, five games because they can't make free throws at all. But, you know, as long as they can make their free throws at a half-decent rate, I think they're a team that will definitely be a tournament team. I agree with that statement. Moving on, going to the Big South, uh, you wanted to touch on this conference. I think it's a two-team two kind of race going into next season. I think it's Winthrop, UNC Asheville. Uh, you, you sent back on the – you actually sent in this league uh, as a league you wanted to debate. I think you're on the UNC Asheville bandwagon, but I'll, I'll let you state your claim. Yeah, I mean, I'm just – 
UNC Asheville, they when they hired Mike Morrell from Texas, he was in a under shock of smart there. He just really turned this. They are not back, but they really turned it around in his second season. They have Lavar Bats, who started his career at NC State. They have Jamin Battle. They have L.J. Thorpe. They have Tajon Jones, Devon Baker, Cody Jew. They have five guys returning. You scored in double figures, and then. You know, they had Silas Mason, who's the number one recruit in UNC Asheville history. And while that might not seem super impressive, I'm going to name three guys who you all listening definitely know who they are and watched the last two, three seasons and will this season. Macy Oteague at Baylor started at UNC Asheville. Dylan Smith from Arizona, who's now graduated, started at UNC Asheville. Dwayne Sutton, who went to Louisville for his last two seasons, started at UNC Asheville. Then you have guys like Evan Claiborne, who's a grad transfer from UNC, or from NC Central. He's a big, you know, he can play the five. He's a four guy, maybe. Trent Stephanie, he's a one-two guard guy. But uh, when I spoke to Cor- Coach Morrell, he told me that he really stepped it up near the end of the season as high expectations for him. And then you have B.J. Marable, another guy down low, a freshman. See what he and Claiborne can do. Those are the two big pieces. But Silas Mason is the real thing with him. He's super athletic and talented. Is he a three or is he a four? I think he mostly plays four this season, but can be a wing. And, you know, maybe an NBA guy eventually. He's a guy who had offers from Kansas State, Oklahoma State, Georgetown. He had like 12 plus high major offers and went to UNC Asheville. And he's from Greensboro, North Carolina, where UNCG is also located, obviously. So he had a ton of high-end offers and decided to go to UNC Asheville. Mike Morrell is building something special there. Yeah, I definitely think UNC Asheville is a team that going forward is going to be really good. I went with Winthrop on this one. I just think the returning talent, you got Chandler Vondren, you've got Hunter Hale, you've got Michael Anigba. Uh, uh, DJ Burns as well. I think this is a really deep, talented team. Uh, and while I think UNC Asheville is going to be really good, uh, and the Big South in general is going to be really good this season, I'm just going to stick with Winthrop as my kind of de facto pick. Uh, especially, I'm a big fan of Chandler Rodgers. Uh, I think he, he had yeah, the, he watched him in the St. Mary's game earlier this year. He had a huge performance in that one, kind of led them to the upset win that yeah he's like the left-handed john conchar if john conchar couldn't shoot free throws that's a very good comparison i know uh moving on going to the conferences we're staying in the superlatives we're going to the wcc we started with the wcc we're ending there, but we're going to start backwards, go under the radar, dark horse team, contenders, then we're going to on the league favorite. Sounds good. I'll, uh, I guess I'll start with the under the radar team. I'm going to go with San Francisco. Young coach Todd Golden is building something really, really special. They have a great uh, two-guard duo with Jamari Boyer and Khalil Shabazz. You have uh, Josh Coonan, I believe is how you say it. He's a center. He's a high-potential guy. He'll be re- replacing Jimbo Lowell. Then you have Julian Richwain, who's probably going to get a waiver. He was a three-star recruit who transferred from Boston College. Then you have, you know, you're losing Jordan Rotino, but 
with the returning guys, I think they have enough in New York to replace that. Shabazz is a guy who isn't talked about nearly enough. He's a great defender. Boye is one of the fastest players in college basketball that I've seen in a while. Can really get to the hoop. And obviously you lose Charles Minland, who is a, a transfer transfer to Louisville. But I just like a lot of what this team does. You know, you you then you also have Damari Milstead, who's a transfer from Grand Canyon. So they just have a lot of guys in and out. You have Tavi Yurkatam, who's a six ten guy. You just have a lot of in and out in this program. But I think this team got better, even though they lost a lot. Yeah, I'm going to stay personally. I'm going with uh, Pacific as my under-the-radar team, but I did have San Francisco as my dark horse team. I just think Jabari Bouye, Cahil uh, Shabazz, I think that duo is in for a huge season. Uh, and then it's just a really good, smart coach that's going to lead this team to a really good season. Yeah, definitely. And... Going on Pacific real fast, I have a little breaking news on the podcast. Nigel Shad, who is a transfer from Kansas State, he, like, briefly committed to Arizona State for, like, five minutes, then didn't, and then he transferred, ended up transferring to Pacific. He received a waiver today, so I guess that's big WCC news. But, you know, you hear a lot of guys talk about BYU, but I think they need to be talked about a little more possibly, but they're a team with a lot of question marks, losing Jake Toulson, losing T.J. Haas, but Alex Barcelo is a guy who can be an absolute star in college basketball. He's in the perfect place. He's an elite shooter. You have Brandon Averett, I think is how you say it, transferred from Utah Valley, so Mark Pope is just poaching guys from his old school. Then you had Matt Harms, who is 7'3", but I think he thinks he's like 5'10 guard because he does not like to, you know, really play the post. He wants to, like, be a 15-foot and beyond guy, and he just that doesn't work for him. So I prefer he plays at his size, and that'd be great. Then you have Gavin Baxter. You have Colby Lee. There's just a lot of good players on that, on that team. I just want to see how they piece it together before I fully buy in. But Alex Barcelo is a guy I'm a huge fan of. Yeah, and going yeah. to Pacific, I'm going to stay on that kind of bandwagon. I really like what came on side of Myers. Uh, he had a really good year last year. Obviously, Jahil Tripp obviously got hurt. You have Justin Mack, you have Denise Jean. Uh, I just think Damon Sotomayor at the helm. And this is this specific team I think is going to be really good going forward. Uh, and then BYU, I also have them have as my top contender in the league. I don't really think there's another team can maybe say Pepperdine or St. Mary's. Uh, St. Mary's roster is just brutal going on this season. But BYU has a clear number in the league. Uh, Barcelona's points going to be good. Matt Harms, Brandon Navarrete, uh, Kobe Lee solid. Now, obviously, their front court is not anything close to matching uh, what Gonzaga's is. Uh, anyone that tweets it out uh, loses some credibility with me, but BYU is going to be solid going into next season. Uh, at arms, you know, a good pickup. BYU is going to be good, just not that good. Yeah, I mean, Matt Harm is a fine player. He just might be, like, the most overrated transfer ever. Kentucky fans were acting like he was the next coming of, like, Will Chamberlain when none of them probably had ever seen him play when he was, you know, 
might have went to Kentucky. You know, he's a fine player. He's 7'3", should be better than he is. He's just a guy that has disappointed me severely in his career. Definitely. Definitely. I think Matt Harms, early in his career, was really good, but he just never developed that offensive game that you kind of would want out of him in order to be, you know, really good secondary playmaker. You know, Travion Williams ended up being better than him this season. Uh, this mm-hmm. season he left Purdue to begin with. Uh, so for Matt Harms to get BYU, I think it's a good fit. I just think the, you know, talk about him being a game changer, the best player in the WCC is just ridiculous. Yeah, Drew Timmy would drop like 65 on him in the first half. So I think that's about where I feel about Matt Harms. You know, like six one Jacob Young put him on a poster late in the season. It was probably the most embarrassing thing I've ever seen for a seven three guy. Rectors for you. Yeah. Uh, and then we started this podcast with Gonzaga. Petra said going overseas. We're ending the podcast talking about Gonzaga because. Any one thing the league favored in this league is not Gonzaga. It is, uh, beyond that, Gonzaga is going to be really good going into next season. Yai, Kispert, uh, Jalen Suggs, Drew Timmy, potential oh, yeah. the year Drew Timmy, all the Gonzaga. Yeah, I mean, I have this Gonzaga team. I, just, I don't think losing Petrusev is as big as people are making it out to be. You know, I thought there was a chance he leaves. I thought there was a really good chance he came back. But, you know, he's just not an NBA guy, so I wasn't surprised. But, you know, Drew Timmy's better. And I'm not just saying that. Just, you know, follow my uh, tweets of saying that he's really good and to be the national player of the year, even though I've been saying that for two months. I mean, just, you know. I've been on that train. I'm glad people are now joining it, but the bandwagon for Drew Timmy is almost closed. I mean, there's not much room left with how many people I've seen tweeting about him, but Drew Timmy could be the National Player of the Year. Not joking. Joel Ayai could be an All-American. Corey Kispert is an elite wing. He's an amazing shooter. Omar Ballo is just, you know, he Gonzaga people are super high on him. Then Anton Watson, like I talked about earlier, Julian Strother, Aaron Cook is a guy who transferred from Southern Illinois. He was really getting it going last season before he got hurt, but him getting hurt gave him the chance to redshirt and get an extra year. I just think that him, you know, he two years ago shot 38% from three. That's a good thing off the bench they could have. I think he's a mix between Ryan Woolridge offensively and Geno Crandall, somewhere in between those two. I mean, he's not Admon Gilder or Nigel Williams-Goss. But I think he's, you know, a little better than what Geno Crandall was and maybe a little worse than what Woolridge was. But in that little trend of getting, you know, really good guards, I think he's a solid bench piece who can play 20 minutes a game. And now with Petrusev gone, they have one more scholarship spot. Maybe they go back into the uh, overseas pool, get a European guy or something. Or they could just scout out the transfer market. Maybe they get Adam Kunkel and he can sit until next year with Andrew Nemhard. Or they can just, like, sit and wait a bit, see if someone else who's a graduate transfer enters a portal. Something like that could be beneficial for Mark Few's squad. And don't forget the fact that the NCAA waiver process is uh, completely crazy. So maybe they apply for a waiver for Andrew Nembhard. He gets it, and then, boom, Gonzaga. If you don't think they're number one, 
right now, they're number one with Andrew Nembhard in the lineup, certainly. That'd be insane. I don't think it'll happen, but you never know with the NCAA. I hope it happens. Please, let it happen. I'm in. Just, just let Gonzaga go, go and get season. Yep. Oh, and uh, can't forget this. We do have one Twitter question if you want to get to that. Oh, I forgot about the Twitter question. Yeah. We, uh, each Jonathan tweeted out, if you guys have any Twitter questions, I quote tweeted it, and someone responded to my tweet. So, you know, again, we got one this time, so hopefully you guys can step it up a little bit. But it was an interesting question. I'll just wait. You pulling it up? Yeah. Yeah. All right, cool. So it's from JC Hoops Pod. Uh, shout out to you. Uh, you're the winner of the Twitter question of the week. Uh, he asks, what do you think the, what do you think the effect would be on college basketball if fall sports were canceled? Uh, you want to go first or kind of? Yeah, first. I don't think it's a big impact at all. I just think, you know, obviously it could be a little bit of an impact, but I I think if football is canceled, I don't think there's any chance there's a spring football season. And if there is, you're not going to see guys like Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields. You're not going to see the elite prospects play. It's just not going to happen. They have too much to risk. They're just going to go way to the NFL draft. Their stock is set. So either they're going to play a 9-10 game conference schedule, they're not going to play at all. So I just think that if football does get canceled, it actually gives NCAA more pressure to play basketball because they want that TV revenue for March Madness. They will play. This is something I will say, and I think 99% of people in the know with college basketball, not saying I am, I'm not, but just my opinion based off of what I've heard, college basketball, whether it's right or not, will have a March Madness tournament. I think they honestly wanted to have one last year, but there was just not enough known about the coronavirus yet. It was kind of out of nowhere, uh, even though we should have known more about it, but, you know, whatever, I guess. Uh, but I think the NCAA will do whatever they can to have a March Madness, whether they're just like, you know what, we don't play a regular season, and the 68 teams I would have been in last year, you can be in this year. They'll figure out a way to play some kind of tournament to get that TV revenue from CBS and Turner. They'll they want that revenue, and they'll if football gets canceled, it makes it more of a priority to play college basketball. So I guess my answer is not a huge impact, but if football's canceled, they want to play March Madness even more than before. March Madness. I don't see a world where there's no March Madness for two years in a row. Uh, whether they're just doing the same exact, you know just picking the season up a year later with completely different rosters or whatever it looks like, there will be a March Madness this season. I think a reasonable expectation, you know, we're probably not going to have the Maui Invitational. We're probably not going to have, like, the Champions Classic, the Battle for Atlantis. Uh, I don't think it was the PK-80 year, but no PK-85 tournament this season. But I think we'll see a situation you might get like regionalized non-conference games uh you'll get like louisville playing kentucky and louisville kentucky both playing murray state and belmont and kind of things like that uh and then there'll be conference play i think that's kind of what the season will look like might get these regionalized early in the season maybe like in december and then just regular conference play but I, I still see a college basketball season happening. I think it might 
end up being kind of a shell of what it usually is. Yeah, definitely. And my last little thing on this, the the big issue, I guess, with potentially mid-majors do not have the money or resources. Like teams in the NEC or the SWAC or MEAC don't have the resources or like any lower tier the mid-major conference the whack they just don't have the resources to test daily maybe once every five days but the expenses on tests add up while louisville can test you know once every day or two days maybe you look at like portland state and they can't do that they just don't have the resources so if you look at how that could potentially affect college basketball those teams also need buy games to keep their programs running at the level they want. So it's going to be interesting to see how they decide to run this season. I think we're going to see a lot of programs, maybe conferences, like you already look at some conferences, like the MEAC might end up folding soon in the next couple of years. If these teams who are lower mid-major teams who rely on buy games for the rest of their you know, athletic department – Maybe basketball, get they get rid of basketball. Maybe they get rid of these other sports. There's just so much on the line. I just don't see a way that they try to have a full college basketball season because you're losing so much for all these potential athletes. And I think if the athletes were given the option to play or not play, I think a vast majority would say, I'll play and take the risk, whether that's right or not. I just think overall the you know potential – uh, downfall for programs who rely on these money games to continue their athletic department will be devastated by the impact if there's no non-conference season. Definitely. Definitely. With that, that, that will wrap that it up for this edition of the Making the Madness College Basketball Podcast. Last week, want to get in, Sean? Um, yeah, I mean, just follow me on Twitter, uh, Sean02MTM, high-quality tweets at all times, usually about Drew Timmy, and, you know, big Yankees fan here, so uh, go Yankees today. A big, uh, very excited for this, so Yankees going 60-0. You'll catch the occasional Yankees tweet. I'll probably, you know, tweet a little bit tonight as I'm very excited, so hopefully you don't get annoyed by a couple baseball tweets here and there, but Yankees going 60-0, and uh, thanks for listening. Hey, if it was ever a year to go 16-0, it's this year in baseball. Oh, yeah.